On today's show, Donovan Mitchell postgame said the Cleveland Cavaliers kind of deserve to lose this one. He was right. We'll talk about that and the end of the Cavs win streak on a new episode of Locked on Cavs. You are Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at PrizePicks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com backslash locked in NBA and use code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. The Cavs win streak is over, and I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerill. Jake Stevens, as always, is doing the work behind the scenes. Cavs win streak ends at 9 with a 123-121 to loss to the Joel Embiid-less Philadelphia 76ers. Darius Garland has an open three-pointer at the buzzer that does not go in on a night where he looked overall, I think, pretty good. But Evan, what's your big takeaway from the win streak ending Cavs game? I mean, it's what you just said. Darius Garland looked really good in this game. Um, I think it was surprising how quickly Evan Mobley acclimated to just what has been working for the Cavs in terms of just offensive play style and things like that. And he's gotten in on the fun and taking three pointers. He was one of two tonight against Philly in this game, but Garland, it was a little bit of um, not starting on third base. He was starting at home compared to Mobley. Um, and he had to work his way back into it. Like for context, he couldn't only work to a certain point heart rate wise. Well, his jaw was wired shut. He lost a lot of weight and everything like that. But, like, this is the eighth or ninth game, I believe, since he's been back after jaw surgery. And he looked a lot like the old Garland out there in terms of just, like, having his finger on the pulse in terms of playmaking. But he's looking a lot more comfortable playing off the ball. And I think J.B. Bickerstaff did do a good job of staggering his minutes with Mitchell at times to just let Garland have the reins of the offense and just run things or... um a little bit and just kind of build a rhythm of momentum with Garland. So then you can close the game with Karis Levert, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland on the floor together. And you kind of had to watch defenses read and react as all three of them were bending Philadelphia to kind of get some good looks on the perimeter. So I want to come back to Garland because I think he's worth getting into. I think Mobley is worth getting into as well. I just don't think there's any place that that is a standard of the actual game itself in terms of what happened it's just, I, th- I think this was a pretty sloppy, sort of unserious Cavs performance. Like, yes, Darius was good, and I agree with that. What I, what I, where I struggle with kind of breaking down this game in the context of that is that even with Mitchell having 36, even with Mobley, I think, doing some really interesting stuff, Jared Allen at 21 and 10, I thought this was as bad as the Cavs have felt as a team in a while. Donovan himself said this postgame. He talked about how... They, he's like, I don't really want to say this, but I kind of like we kind of deserve to lose this. And if you look at how they played, you look at the effort at times, you look at even to start this game, misses at the rim, giving up open looks, defensive mistakes that over and over and over again. And then how it and, and it just how it felt like, OK, yes, you come back, you whittle it down. You're like, OK, you're in range. You could probably win this game. 
and then you slide back and you lose it like that that is about as sloppy as they've looked in a while it is one game it is not the end of the world but to me if they're five percent sharper they probably just win this game and they're not in a position the end of it where Darius Garland has to take it open three and it, it, it's all kind of riding on that and you need a furious comeback before that to even get yourself mm-hmm. in a position to get there and Tyrese Maxey missing a free throw on top of that yeah, a lot of things were going in Cleveland's favor in those closing moments just to kind of, you got to win. And I, I am curious to see what the demeanor would have been like if the Cavs were able to win this game versus uh, what we heard from Mitchell or others post game. But like you had said, Donovan said just based on how they played defense in the first half, especially himself included he mentioned a play where KG, he just watched kg martin blow past him and get an easy bucket and it he said it it made him upset personally for him just because he's better than that but just with how cleveland played defense in this game or the lack thereof in terms of defense um mitchell said like they didn't deserve to win this game and um it's an interesting quote he said we can't get bored with success um right I, He's not wrong. Like you said, yeah, he's 100% right, but it's like it's a good way to put it. Like you can't become complacent when you're steamrolling teams because there are going to be nights like this where either it's a lack of effort, it's a lack of preparation, it's just like, you know, maybe the other team is just able to feel themselves because of your lack of defense and effort and preparation. But it'll be interesting to see how they respond against Chicago on Wednesday. Assumedly, you know, they they win that game because the Bulls aren't great, but what kind of performance or effort will we get out of the Cavs, whether it's a win or not, but, you know, preferably a win if you're Cleveland. But, like, if they come out and just throttle the Bulls and clearly show that what happened against the 76ers on Monday uh, wasn't, like, the norm for them or anything. But, yeah, like you said, like, he's 100% right. Like, they can't become complacent. They can't just expect to win every single game. Like, there are going to be nights where it has to be a fight, and... The Cavs did not bring the scrap when they needed the, when they needed to until the closing moments, and it ended up being fleeting. Even if Donovan Mitchell got a pretty good look at the basket on a pull up towards the basket, and then Jared Allen just having the presence of mind to kick it out to a wide open Darius Garland, like people can critique, like Karis LeVert was open on that play too. But the Cavs got two pretty high quality looks um, to close the game, but they shouldn't have been in that spot to begin with because the first 59 minutes of that game was just kind of for them. The other thing I'll note here is defensively Donovan hitting at that. What was bad? The overall defensive performance just doesn't stack up. Philly without Embiid to their credit had healed flying off the screens and they were locked in and they have a very set style they're playing. So I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. This isn't to take away from them, but the Cavs just should be better than this. They would tell you this. Philly had an offensive rating of 128.7. That means Cavs had a defensive rating of 128.7. Evan, give me a rough guess. I just want to guess off the top of your head. When's the last time the Cavs had a worse defensive performance than that? Like, how uh, long has it been? I, I may be reaching a little bit, but it may be that loss to Portland where they just came out so flat and there was no effort on defense whatsoever. I mean, I could be wrong, but it feels like it's that at least in my rear view, feels like the answer. The answer is December 21st, 2023 against the New Orleans Pelicans. A 123-104 to loss. A pretty bad cast performance overall in that game. They had an offensive rating in the game of 107. 
They had a defensive rating of 134.5. That is actually their worst defensive performance of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, they've had a couple worse than that. Uh, the Sacramento loss in Sacramento was worse than that. The Heat one was was close to that back in before Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving. But the Pelicans one is the last time that they played defense that poorly. Ever like, There's been a couple games where the defensive rating got up into the 120s. It wasn't particularly good. But most often than not, you're seeing them absolutely just wreck teams with their defense. And they just were not sharp at all in this game. I mean, look, again, I'll, I'll respect to Tyrese Mack because he was very good. I'll respect to Nick Nurse as a coach and, and what they did. And, and Buddy Heald gave the Cavs a lot of fits. You just probably shouldn't get that lit up by that Philly team in that way. Like you just The standard should be higher than that. Again, it's one game. It's out the end of the world. But I can... We know this from talking to them. I don't think they're super thrilled by that. And I guarantee you J.B. Bickerstaff's going to be annoyed when he looks back at the field from this game. Yeah, he definitely is going to be annoyed after looking back on this one. And, you know, credit where credit's due to Nick Nurse for showing some growth. Uh, it would have been the first time his team had a meltdown in Cleveland. But, um, yeah, Philly really came to play. I think Buddy Heald stepped up phenomenally for them. Kelly Oubre as well. Uh, you could question maybe some of the coverages and the Cavs were defending them, but it really was just from the opening few moments, like the Cavs were pretty lackadaisical on defense. They weren't helping. They weren't switching. They weren't kind of imposing their will, as J.B. Bickerstaff likes to put it, and allowed guys like Buddy Heald or uh, Kelly Oubre or even Tyrese Maxey as well, or um, B-Ball Paul too. Like uh, They were able to get comfortable early and find a rhythm, and the Cavs never really tried to prevent that or at least disrupt the flow and they were shooting themselves in the foot all throughout the first half and it just kind of felt a little bit like last year where the, the Cavs put themselves in this hole or even the start of this year and um, they had to like scrap and claw to get their way out of it but it, more often than not it's too little too late coming up next Darius Garland and Evan Mobley let's talk about their performances and what stood out perhaps two of the three biggest bright spots of this game for me. We'll talk about them right up after this. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It is just you against the numbers. Instead of betting thousands and battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, and having trouble, you could pick more or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Basketball season is here, so they have all kinds of NBA and basketball odds you can look at. And you can also play along some side some of prize picks here, players like the rapper Meek Mill and the comedian Andrew Schultz. You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. PrizePix also has a great reboot policy, so that your entries are stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Go to prizepix.com backslash LockedInNBA and use our code LockedOnNBA, that is L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A, for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy, terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back here on the Locked on Cavs podcast. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. So, Darius Garland, let's go there, Evan. What to you stood out for him in this game? What to you told you that this was a better version of Darius than we have seen of late? 
Uh, to open the game, he played about maybe five or six minutes. He had four points assist, and uh, he was two or two from the floor, one assist and one steal. Um, more often than not, he maybe a little bit of your turn, my turn, basketball times, just to kind of keep him engaged with the ball in his hands. But he was playing a lot of off-ball to Donovan Mitchell and even Max Struess at times. And um, he found a little bit of just like, okay, this is going to maybe be one of those matchups where they can find a little bit of momentum in that department. And then Bickerstaff does his usual thing. He lets Mitchell close up the first. Garland goes to the bench. Garland starts the second quarter as the de facto lead guard with the bench unit. I think he was sharing the floor with Karis LeBert at the time, too. But you saw Garland just kind of find that comfort and rhythm where he has the ball in his hands. And this is something you and I talked about when it came to getting Garland reacclimated to um, how Cleveland is playing offensively. Like you had noted, like, yeah, play him off ball as often as possible to get him as comfortable playing with Donovan Mitchell, um, handling the playmaking or ball handling responsibilities. And I said, like, just stagger him a little bit too. And you saw a little bit of column A, column B in this game. And there's a moment in the third quarter where he had maybe, I think, like six or seven or eight points on his own scoring wise, and then two yeah, really easy just, dimes to Max Truce. Like he gave the Cavs like a 10 plus point swing in the third and got them right back into this game. And you're like, yeah, you're, you're seeing a little bit of the old Darius Garland. I'm sure if you're just looking at the box stat or the box score stats, it, it doesn't scream the old Darius Garland, but you saw him starting to fit in um, to what the Cavs are trying to employ offensively, all while maybe sprinkling in just some older stuff that they would do just like letting him be the guard and doing a lot of whatever on offense. Um, and it's a step in the right direction. Like I, I spoke with GB Bickerstaff about it post game and the, the Cavs are, he's like pleased with the production, but it's still got a ways to go. And I think the benefit of having the all-star break allows Darius to get healthy and also probably just consume film and put it in as much work as he want or can um, just to kind of ensure that he is really firing on all cylinders when they resume play, not like late next week. 21 points, 9 to 16 from the field for Darius, 3 of 8 from 3. Love to see half of his shots from behind the arc. That is the, the kind that's, of shot profile I think you want. Yeah, that's that's what you really want the most is him taking more threes and a lot of them were the looks, at least a product of him moving off the ball or, you know, getting good looks and like pick and pot or pick and roll situations where the defender drags for the paint and leaves him open. Like he was using his gravity effectively to bend Philly's defense and the Cavs were setting him up with some pretty good looks out there. The other thing for me for him is nine assists, zero turnovers. The best version of Darius Garland is not just taking lots of threes, but he is also getting assists and he's not turning the ball over and he is very smart with the basketball at his best. He's the most trustworthy person to make a decision with a pass on this team at his best. That was him in this game to hit on Evan Mobley, 14 points, 10 boards, three assists for Mobley, um, had two seals, had four block shots. couple things for me. Evan, number one, he hit a three. So Evan Mobley three watch continues. He was an I, at some point, if you look at the, this is like a tangent on this, but if you look at like FanDuel and you look at the, the odds on him hitting threes, it's like plus every game. And I wonder when like the market will shift towards being more even. That's like a random thing I'm going to look at. It doesn't matter that much. But all around really good game. I think pulled a little bit late just due to a minutes restriction. He still only played 27 minutes in this game. And like Karis Lover comes in from like three minutes to go in a spot that I don't think you're doing that when this team, when he's fully ready to go. But I thought it was really interesting how 
actively they are trying to involve him from the get-go and how it feels like he is being evolved in front of us as an offensive player in real time, how they're going to use him. Like, you know, Jared took more shots and and that's going to happen sometimes, but it feels like Evan is really getting pushed into a bigger role here on, on the offensive end. I mean, so far he's, he's earned it and delivered, I think for the most part. Yeah, I think he has delivered, uh, especially just with how, when he is out there, like you said, Jared Allen took more shots than him in this game, but he has still been consistently aggressive several games in a row now. Like the Spurs game will always be the one that stands out the most just because it, it kind of seems sudden just based on how we understood Evan Mobley as a player when just watching him on a game by game basis and the limited interactions media has with him in the locker room. But it, it is interesting to see like, yeah, he does have the potential to stuff the stat sheet as you had just noted all of the counting stats that he did, but like, he is just aggressive. Like he is reading and reacting to how opposing defenses are playing him. Uh, he got a lot of looks up both on the interior, and then he got two looks on the outside, including making one three pointer where, like, didn't even hesitate either, which is the nice thing. Like in the past, Mobley would maybe pass up that opportunity, maybe wait for the offense to reset, maybe ask for a screen, try and be like a pick and roll ball handler or something. But no, he just ripped it from three, and which is what you want him to do because that is going to be kind of the next step in this offensive fit between him and Allen just to make life more palatable for the Cavs when they're playing with the two big lineups. But uh, yeah, I, I once the minute restriction is lifted for Mobley, I'm curious to see like how far this goes with him being so aggressive. I think they are the Cavs are being mindful of the fact that they are setting him up for success. They're kind of forcing the hand a little bit and kind of forcing him to grow up and be the player that they need, they need him to be and grow up in the nicest way possible. But he is expending more energy doing that as well, too, on top of getting back into in-game shape after dealing with arthroscopic knee surgery. So he was a lot of fun in this game. Um, again, the defense was lacking, but like offensively, he, he brought it pretty consistently whenever he was out there for the Cavs, which has become a bit of the new norm post-knee surgery for him. Yeah, watching him play defense is interesting right now because on one hand... There's times where he's making defensive mistakes. I don't think he's making at his best. And I think some of that has to just be timing and, and the gas tank and just getting the feel fully yeah. back. You can just see him like biting on pump fakes and then like acknowledging that he made a mistake. There's mistakes he makes every game right now that I don't think he's making. He wasn't making last year. He wasn't making probably earlier in this season. I think, too, he is still impacting the game defensively in big ways. There's a, there's a moment. I mean, the one of the first big plays for the Cavs in this game was he contests. He, he goes up to just block Tyrese Maxey's vision as Maxey's trying to throw a pass in the lane. Deflects off of Mobley. I don't know how this was scored, but he, he it's like a deflection, like a, like a defensive lineman almost, like getting his arm up. And the ball gets kicked, start on the fast break. The Cavs get a break. Mitchell feeds Struess for a bucket. Evan Mobley created that. That was not a steal from a guard or whatever in the passing lane. That was Evan Mobley doing some pretty awesome work. stuff. Yeah, I mean, he is special, and we know this, but it it got to kind of look and get. I think the through line for me, Evan, with both these guys is you. it's important, I think, right now to be granular and to be specific and to be very... And to look at like some of the minor details and think about the big picture where this is going more than I think living and dying with every little thing they're doing right now. That that's yeah, where I fall yeah. on both these guys. And I'm encouraged on both guys to be clear. Yeah, I am too. I think you need to be realistic as well. Like they 
we're both away from basketball for a month and a half during the regular season where there's already limited practice opportunities for not just these guys, but their teammates as well, just for them to get comfortable with these guys back out there. So a lot of it is relearning um, how to find that comfort and familiarity and your fit in this new scheme the Cavs have deployed midseason. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like Mobley has been playing really well. Your point is interesting, just like him biting on pump fakes and him like just saying like I shouldn't have done that or zoning up to it. But there's just a simple raise of the hand and patting on the chest after he does that. But at least for me with Mobley, like he's such a cerebral player. I know he's going to internalize all this stuff. And once the body matches the mind for him, it's going to be kind of fun just to see what he's capable of because I mean, he's probably like, probably beat himself up over some of those just ticky tack or just maybe careless fouls he's committed and if he continues to clean that up because we know one of his better strengths is defending without fouling like if the offense matches the defense like the defense we're accustomed to like yeah he is firmly Cleveland's second best player behind Donovan Mitchell heading into the postseason which is huge Cavs considering where they were last playoffs I think at least can be the second best I don't know if I want to say for sure uh, but I think can be, and I think that's where you want to get with Mobley. All right, after this, the two seed, the race is on. The Cavs had a, had an opportunity tonight to extend a little bit, and Evan, Evan, who's your marker character? Oh gosh, um, this is I just need to know Rosalina usually. Wow, okay, you're wild for that. All right, well, I'll I'll reveal mine, and we'll talk about the race for the two seed after this break. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Around New Year's and in a new year, we get obsessed over how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organize one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning. That's me. And now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Breakfast is great. I don't know why people skip breakfast. Therapy helps you find your strength so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. And celebrate the progress you've already made. You're doing great, and I think Evan and I and BetterHelp applaud you for that. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's Better, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. Rosalina? I, I'm just a little surprised. Um, Mario Galaxy is a wonderful game. Um, Not played it. Well, there's your first mistake. Um, second, it's either her or Boo. Usually, um, I don't. I, I like the heavier characters because they're easier to drift with. And I don't know Bowser and Wario kind of overplay for me. DK's fun too, but that's just if I really want to be annoying, just because you can spam the uh, horn the whole time. Who's your player? Or character Give me rather. Yoshi on a on a motorbike. I just vibe. I'm not. I'm going for you're, vibes. You're a toxic Mario Kart player. You play Yoshi. That's right. Toxic. It's like it's like, right. who play, it's like people who play Kirby and Smash. That's such a yeah. No. Those people. Yeah, I think the Kirby and Smash thing is where it's like the one played Smash as an adult. But all right, the two seed as of right now, the Cavs are there. There is the way the East is shaping up. 
is that there is a pack of teams behind the Boston Celtics. The Celtics are five and a half games up on the two two right now. They're going to get the one seed. That, that's going to happen. The Cavs right now are, are in second place. They're five and a half games back. They have a one-game lead over the Bucks, who won, who beat the Nuggets on Monday as the Cavs lost to the 76ers. The Knicks are in fourth. They are two and a half games back of the Cavs. They did the Cavs a favor here by not tightening this more because they lost to the Rockets in Houston. The and Philly Dante is in fifth. DiVincenzo may have died in this game, so... Oh, I hadn't seen that. That's not great. Uh, uh, no, my not died, died, died. His, his hand, like, he was really hurt. Bull- he, no. he played 40 minutes in this game, Was put up 21 shots against the Rockets. Um, God bless and Tibbs. Was, was grabbing at his hamstrings at the end of the game, apparently. So it's just, yeah. Tibbs is running dudes into the ground, like Taj Gibson, good old five minutes, and Deuce McBride, five minutes, then Bogey and Burks combined for 40 off the bench, so... Love and it. Knicks fans are already done <laughs> with Bogdanovich. Shocker. Uh, Philly is then nine games back of the one seed and three and a half back. So they are like in this to some degree. How much you want to take them seriously? I mean, they just did beat Cleveland, but they're three and seven in their last ten. They don't have their best player right now. There's a lot to kind of get into there. But here's what I would say, Evan. This to me is the one. This and. This and there's some as far as like how we are going to talk about this team. This is to to me like the number one most important thing for the Cavs' long term future in the playoffs to some degree because I think getting two or three is just really going to matter. It is maybe it is not the most interesting race I think in the league down the stretch. I think that's probably the West one seed because there's four mm-hmm. teams really vying for the number one seed in a conference. But this is I think the the second most interesting race across the league around. I think it is the most interesting race in the East the rest of the year. As of right now, how would you handicap this? How would who would you want to pick? I'm going to see if FanDuel has odds for this for seeds. I don't know if they do yet, but how would, who they do you plan. who do you favor in these? Overall in the East, I would say no, no, Boston, no, no, no. I'm saying uh, no, 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 no. I just three, mean two, two seeds. The two seeds. So like, if you're race. saying two, three, two, three, four, five, if you want to put Philly, how do you stack those teams up? I think it's Cleveland's to lose. Clearly, like they split the season series with uh, Milwaukee, that helps. I talked about this leading into the Sixers game. Like the Cavs get a 2-0 lead on Philly in the season series. That helps too. But uh, we'll see how the game against New York goes in March as well. But like I know I'm stalling for time here a little bit as I process this. But I I, I think it's Cleveland's to lose just because I have seen them kind of handle the ebbs and flows of adversity this season and respond really well. And even after you see a streak, and like the Cavs did against the Bucks, which was a frustrating loss for them, or the recently against the Sixers, which was a very frustrating loss for them. Like they've responded well to those losses and kind of regained their cadence and form and kind of just kept clobbering opponents. Um, and it certainly helps they do have a softer portion of their schedule right now, too. And overall, I believe the easiest schedule out of all Eastern Conference teams to finish the year. So I, I think it's Cleveland's to lose, but Milwaukee's going to be pesky and annoying no matter what, just because they have the be- one of the best players in the world in Giannis and then Damian Lillard on that team. But for me, Philly re-enters the conversation if Joel Embiid comes back sooner than expected. Um, which, you know, big if, if that happens, but if he does come back, that changes the dichotomy a little bit, especially because New York is on a bit of a slide right now, and these wins and losses do matter. But I'm just going to go with the stance of it's Cleveland's to lose, just because, like, they, again, they have the soft schedule, and they do bounce back pretty well after some of these frustrating losses. And 
we'll see how they navigate the remainder of February. They post all-star break and then how they kind of handle a little bit of a bumpier stretch to open March before things kind of balance back out again. So I, 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 this isn't updated as for the. This will change a little bit based on when we get to the morning for what it's worth. But Cavs in the basketball reference is a playoff probability report where they do a simulation of 10,000 simulations the rest of the season. Cavs right now in their report have a 0.6 chance of getting the one seed, an 82.2% chance of getting the two seed, and a 12% chance of getting the three seed, a 3.9% chance of getting the four seed. The next best odds for the two seed is are the Knicks at 8.1%. Milwaukee has a 7.2% chance. Philly has a 1.6 chance. That, to me, is a little... I, I would probably have it a little bit closer than that big guy, but I think the Cavs should be the favorite for this. They've played the best of late. They're the healthiest team out of all these teams right now. They're, there's kind of the... There's a, a clear identity, this team. And... Frankly, they should go all out for the two seed. And on top of that, uh, if they they should genuinely, I, I don't, I'm saying this like somewhat in jest to, to like point out how bad they've been for a long time. But you got the fact that they like could win a division. I, I, I'm sure they have not won a division title without LeBron James since the 1990s. You probably should make a t-shirt like the Cleveland t-shirt economy should provide and like honor that this is. Like heading towards like something really special and like let's let's lean into the fact that they're gonna do something they haven't done without LeBron in like decades. They've literal lot, decades. Yeah, literal decades. Like just to crystallize how much this organization's history is kind of intertwined with LeBron's greatness and they it's an untenable task building out of the shadow of LeBron James. But across the uh Rubicon right now, um Milwaukee has the fourth hardest schedule remaining for the the, the season with twenty eight games to go. Philly has the ninth hardest schedule with 29 games to go. New York has 11, the 11th hardest with 28 to go. And Cleveland has the 15th hardest schedule remaining, including one game against the Pistons, one game against the Wizards, three more against the Hornets, who have been kind of better post-trade deadline, but we'll see. Uh, one against the Grizzlies, one against the Nets, and one against the Hawks. Like The, the Cavs have some kind of chalk matchups here, where like on the harder side of things, they still have one against Boston, two against Minnesota, one against the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Knicks, and then two more against Philly. So we'll see how the remainder of the season goes. But the Cavs do have the luxury of playing some easier opponents down the stretch. Uh, but it's also basketball. Weirder <laughs> things have happened. I just looked at this. Uh, they play the Hornets three times between March 25th and April 14th. That is a gift from the basketball gods. That is a gift yeah. from Mount Naismith coming down and bestowing upon you. Hey, do you want to play one of the worst teams in the league three times over the last month? If only it was the Wizards were more in there, too, because that's a pitiful basketball team. But, yeah, we'll see how this goes, ultimately. Um, like, in Get terms Memphis of easiest too. schedules, like, the, the Celtics have the second easiest schedule with the Magic, who... Could maybe be another thorn in Cleveland's side if they kind of keep stringing together some quality wins. Um, and the Cavs do face the Magic pretty soon after the All-Star break. So um, so we'll see just what happens from here. But um, like, yeah, like looking at Boston's schedule, they still have the Thunder, Cavs, Nuggets, Bucks twice, Knicks twice, and Sixers once. But they still have the Wizards, Pistons, Hornets, Blazers, Nets, and Hawks twice on their schedule. So like, yeah. Uh, those are 10 winnable games for the Boston Celtics that could, you know, just continue to widen the gap between them and Cleveland for one and two. But 
I mean, ideally, yeah, you want the one seed. We talked about this to start the season. If you're Cleveland and you get the one seed, like you're playing with how, more than house money at that point because you can hopefully draw more favorable matchups and make an Eastern Conference final run. But I, I do think two is just the Cavs to lose at this point. I'm going, I agree. I think that they are the favorites to get the two seed. And that's going to mean a lot if they get there really good spot um for them to actually make something of a playoff run and, and maybe get some respect put on their name which will which as a tease for tomorrow tomorrow we're going to talk about something that got asked to donovan mitchell post game and i th- i'm we'll have to do some more research on this and i'm look at betting odds and, and kind of the overall shape of the market but how does donovan mitchell fit into the mvp conversation jb has been asked about this mitchell got asked about it garland got asked about this we're going to talk about that ahead of Cavs Bulls on Wednesday. We're, so that's going to be our Wednesday show. About it. I'm going to be honest. Um, I, I will say, I'm not exactly sure how. I, I, I have a hard time getting worked up. Donovan, here, here's the tease. Donovan Mitchell said something about why he is maybe not considered in the MVP race that I think explains the whole thing in a very simple way and is somewhat fair. And maybe it's a little harsh, but if you just think about how this stuff normally works, unless you're like, well, there's some exceptions to that. But there, I think there's something kind of on his resume right now that is going to keep him from some of these things. And it's not really his fault. So we'll talk about that. Um, also, of, of note, just in the news... Keep an eye on this. Mike Gansey, the Cleveland Cavaliers general manager, according to Woj, is going to be on the list of candidates that are pursued by the Charlotte Hornets for their president of basketball, president of basketball operations job. Gansey's very instrumental in that front office, um, but he's kind of in, in the corporate structure of the Cavs and the basketball structure of the Cavs. There's nowhere higher for him to go unless Colby Altman were to leave tomorrow. So, and he's, I think, well thought of around the league. So this is not a shocker, but if you're uh, on the tangential edges of the Cavs universe right now, keep an eye on what happens with Mike Gandy and if he ends up being the one to replace Mitch Kupchak in Charlotte. But that's going to do it for Tuesday's show. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerall. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always. Back at you on Wednesday. We'll talk about Mitchell in the MVP race.